Hey guys, you're listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. Today's show was actually recorded a few months back when Andrew Knowlton, our deputy editor, was down in Charleston for its annual Wine and Food Festival. And he got on the mic with Stephen Satterfield from Miller Union in Atlanta and Alan Shia from Shia and Domenica in New Orleans, part of that John Besh uh, group of restaurants. And they talked vegetables, spring vegetables in particular, because it's finally getting kind of warm out there and sunny. And honestly, I think like vegetables are kind of like the most interesting things that chefs are doing these days. Um, and Andrew talked to these guys about how and what they're doing, but also how you can sort of get in on it at home. So let's give a listen. Here's Andrew Knowlton with Stephen Satterfield and Alan Shia. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, the food that that you guys, that you do at Shia and, and Stephen, that you do at Miller Union. Um, I would say, obviously, Miller Union is a very vegetable forward. I mean, your book, Root to Leaf, is about veg- vegetarian vegetable cooking, cookery. Yes. Um, and then Shia is just, I think, inherently kind of Mediterranean Israeli food is heavily vegetable focused. Sure. So I guess a general question is why why vegetables now, like, why does it seem like, you know, vegetarian used to be kind of a bad word, meant bad food, and there's been this refocus. I know a lot of that is about just better accessibility to good vegetables, but why do you think people who are, you know, steakhouse people are now branching out and, you know, kale salad is on every menu at Chili's and yeah. for wherever? I think um, that's a multifaceted answer. Yeah. Um, first of all, I think that I mean, Miller Union was based on responding to the farmer's harvest, and that's our that's our mission statement. We've never varied from that, and <clears throat> we've always kept on course. And so Root to Leaf is an extension of that idea. Mm-hmm. It's about being aware of the seasons and, you know, possibly shopping at a farmer's market if you have ac- access to one. And then what do you do with all this stuff? Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to do some simple, easy recipes that could really help people with their repertoire. A lot of times, you know, like you think about your mom, for instance, like, you know, my mom makes summer squash one way. Right. You know, and that's that's all she ever does. And it's really good. Squash casserole, it's perfect. It's flawless. <laughs> but um, but it's, you know, it's like there's a lot of a lot of other things you can do with it. Right. And so yeah, I think every fruit and vegetable deserves a little more exploration. Mm-hmm. And then there's also this newfound trust in chefs where we have been given a little more authority to mm-hmm. let us guide people mm-hmm. through their experience. And so I think with that, there is a newfound kind of frontier with vegetables because there are really endless possibilities mm-hmm. that you can you can do. I mean, there's no, you know, steak, it's either gonna be rare, medium, or well done or you right. know there's like only so many things and you can put different flavors on it you but can sous vide it or whatever exactly but it's, but it's yeah. still yeah. it's still got parameters whereas vegetables i mean there's a lot more uh wiggle room right and so i think that's really exciting for us because we can find you know new palettes and new right new territory we, we always think of it in the magazine um at bon app is it's kind of like the brussels sprout story is like most people grew up hating brussels sprouts Absolutely. and that was only because whoever was cooking for you wasn't wasn't cooking them. So you gained my trust as chefs by like, you know what, let's not just steam or boil these. And and so now people I think are more willing to, you know, if it's 
you know, I know at Dominica, you have one of the, I'd say one of the most 20 popular vegetarian dishes of all time, your whole roasted cauliflower. Right. How did that That's come funny. About? That's a funny story because that. So it, it describe the dish for people so who don't, haven't had it. It's a, it's an entire head of cauliflower and we, we find the, the really big ones and we, we slow cook it with a little bit of butter and olive oil and white wine and lemon and salt. And once the whole cauliflower is cooked through, and we sous vide it, um, so it cooks just you know really perfectly. And then we take that and roast it in our pizza oven at Domenica, the whole head. And so it kind of caramelizes, uh, and it's a really beautiful. I think it really expresses the natural beauty of a head of cauliflower, which I think is underappreciated in in most in most. Um, markets. And then I uh, took a steak knife and just shoved it right into the middle of it. And so it kind of looked like a brain with a steak knife in it. And I think that's really the main reason why people like it so much. But it was in Israel when I discovered that I, I took a trip to Israel in 2011. And uh, of course, in Israel, the, the vegetables are, are, are everywhere. And it's such an essential part of the cuisine. And uh, I saw a dish that was very similar. And I thought like, you know, I really, I have this huge oven at, at Dominica. I feel like we could do this really, really well. And we came back and I played with several different versions of it and got it to the, the point that I really liked it and put it on the menu. And now we sell 700 heads of cauliflower a week. Really? Wow. Uh, at Dominica. I mean, we go through crazy amounts of cauliflower and I never... I never wanted to be the known for cauliflower, you know, <laughs> like I go out into the dining room and I'm like, uh, I say to people, Hey, how was your, your dinner tonight? And, you know, I, I wonder if they're going to talk about like the salami that takes eight months to cure or the pizza dough that's got like a seven year starter in it. And they're like the cauliflower. It was amazing. And I was like, yeah, it takes us like an hour and a half to make. It's a, <laughs> it's a great dish. Um, but that, that kind of has, that was the one dish that got me excited about exploring more vegetables mm -hmm. and, and how to prepare vegetables like that. So when you guys go to whatever your your farmer's market or your relationship with farmers that you have and you get a new vegetable or you're trying to do something new with a vegetable that you're already familiar with, how do you guys go about, you know, devising a new dish? I, I usually run tests. Um, so I, I'll come up with an idea. Mm -hmm. Often it's sparked by something maybe that I tasted or mm -hmm. tried, or maybe I'll take a method from a different perspective and mm -hmm. apply it to a vegetable that I've never seen. Do you before. have one? Uh, do you have an example of? Um, like recently I did some um, salt roasted beets. And so <clears throat> I think that's a good example because you know, I've seen that done with potatoes, for instance, like fingerling, right. fingerling potatoes. And that's, that's a, it's probably a method that a lot of people don't, don't know where you just bury it in salt and roast it until it's tender and it seasons it all the way through, but it's also really moist and, mm -hmm. and tenderized. And so I did some salt roasted beets, threw them in whole and then peeled them and, and then put them in the smoker. And they, they have this incredibly um, savory, meaty quality to them mm -hmm. that I've really been into lately. That's just a new, a late, a, of recent experience um, or experiment. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where I have an idea, jot it down, and then next time I have a free moment, I'll mm -hmm. run a test and see how it is and, um, you know, well, document it's in, it. It's interesting, you know, between the cauliflower, the beets, it's almost 
treating vegetables like meat almost when you're roasting them or charring them. You know, charred vegetables. You can't get away from charred vegetables now. Yeah. Um, for better they, or for worse. Because they taste good. Yeah, they do. Right. What's your favorite spring vegetable when, when the season starts to change? Green garlic. Green garlic. Absolutely. I use it in everything. What do you do with it? Um, I mean, I use it in the same way that I would garlic, but just in, in myriad ways. I mean, I put it in dressings and marinades and rubs and... Um, and how is it different from regular garlic that people are used to? It's got a, a little bit of a fresher flavor to it. I mean, so green garlic, a lot of people don't even know this, but like, just like onions, they have these long green tops when they first emerge from the ground. Mm -hmm. And it, every part of it is edible. And then once the vegetable matures and the season goes on, the green tops become weathered or wither and dry, mm -hmm. or they're just cut off at some point. And those um, are those are the scapes that you can buy. So long, uh, um, hard neck garlic grows scapes, but okay. the soft neck doesn't. Soft neck is the one that they turn into the braids. If you've ever seen that, yeah. And um, the hard neck garlic grows the scapes. Okay. <clears throat> and scapes come later, and that's when it's the plant starting to flower. Right. That you see those at the farmers market. Like they can't they can't sell enough of them at a certain point. They're just all all yeah. over the yeah. But, uh, you know, what's cool about green garlic is that you have this, you know, long stalk. It looks like a scallion, but you can use it and you can use the entire part. And the white part is a little more strong flavored, but the green part's kind of delicate. And I love it. And I, I do a green garlic bagna cauda, which is really delicious. And you throw throw it in kind of at the last minute. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I put it in, you know, like I said, in dressings. It's great grilled. Um, with steak, you know, I mean, there's so many different ways. What about you, Alon? Is there? I love artichokes. I think when I when I lived in Italy, there's artichokes everywhere, and you know, you learn that they're they're kind of like an intimidating vegetable. They have all those you know sharp spines, like sharp spikes, and uh, and they take a little bit of time to clean, and they can oxidize really fast. But I, I feel like if you're uh, if you want to begin mastering vegetable cookery, like perfecting cooking artichokes is a great way to get into it and learning how to properly respect the process of of preparing it and cleaning it and cooking it in a way that's going to make it taste best. And I, I feel like cleaning an artichoke is one of the most gratifying experiences in the Listen, kitchen. Whoever... Yeah. decided whoever figured out there was food inside of that was really hungry <laughs> I know because it is yeah. a lot of work <laughs> it's a lot of work but you know if you're cooking dinner for four people it's not so bad I, right I, no, I usually I'll usually have like you know four cases in front of me and be like oh man I got you know I gotta cook all this cauliflower but I mean I always this, think uh, of the Nona's in, in Rome when you go to some of the markets there and they're just all sitting there peeling these artichokes right, right. it's almost like uh, in the south Shelling beans, shelling beans yeah. you know, it's the, yeah. the equivalent of, you know. Yeah, and, and people don't know, like artichokes are great if you clean them up and you you can soak them in a little bit of water with, with lemon juice to, to keep them from browning. They're great shaved raw, like yeah. over salad. It's It's got a great bite to it. It's got a great flavor to it. It's fun to be with somebody who's never had, you know, a raw artichoke dish and they're like, right. you know, with the little shaved Parmesan and just olive oil and lemon and yeah. salt on top. It's like... You can just watch their face be like, you can do this? A mandolin is one of the best tools you can have for, for a lot of vegetables because you can eat some things raw if they're paper thin, mm -hmm. but if they wouldn't be good if they were chunky. And so that's a really, I, that's something I 
point out even a lot. with zucchini like just shaving Absolutely. raw zucchini right? totally yeah. or, or beets raw beets or you know some of the more hard dense root vegetables even like celery root or, mm-hmm. or turnips can be great raw and porcini mushrooms yes. is one of my favorite things uh raw and just sliced really thin over a salad and i think blanching is a really good technique too for a lot of vegetables especially in the spring some of the more delicate things that um but you want to tenderize them and add some flavor. Or you mm-hmm. just drop them in some boiling water for a minute and mm-hmm. shock them in ice water. And then you have incredible, crunchy, flavorful, and it, the, the sugars come out more. And then I think it's just one of the most valuable techniques that you can use mm-hmm. for, for a lot of vegetables. It, and it seemed like um, over the past couple years, you know, there's been such a focus on vegetable cookery and, and, you know, making everything al dente and like it's got to be crisp and fresh. But I think both of you come from culinary traditions that cook the shit out of vegetables also. Yeah, totally. And, and that was kind of a, a bad thing, right? We mentioned the Brussels sprouts are missing green beans. I almost feel like there's a shift now that chefs are, some chefs are going back to like long, slow braises like those green beans that I mentioned. Sure. Have you guys... Yeah, that's I mean, a, I, you know, like, I like pole beans that way. Yeah, just like cook forever. Yes. Yeah. Mine is my favorite is cabbage when it's cooked down to the point where you just, you know, eat it with a spoon. I got a pro tip for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when you, you know, when you go to the farmer's market and you're you're walking by all these stalls and tables of vegetables piled up and and it's intimidating when you think about like how do I take this and turn it into dinner tonight for my entire family? One of my favorite things to do is ask the farmers how they cook the vegetables. And they really, you know, they trust me, they eat more of that than they do anything else. If they're Whatever farming they didn't sell. Right. If they're <laughs> farming that in that in their backyards, like that is on the table for dinner probably all through the season. And so one great story is we had a farmer at the Crescent City Farmers Market in New Orleans named Jim Core. He's passed away uh, several years ago. But he grew kale before <laughs> kale was like, you know, anybody cared about kale. Right. And so he had like all these fields full of kale and he would never sell it. And so he started making kale jambalaya. Oh, and that it was, sounds good. It was, it's actually amazing. It's, it's a jambalaya. You know, you put the smoked sausage and you put the bacon fat in there and all the Creole spices and then, um, and then a bunch of kale. And you let that cook nice and slow in the jambalaya. And it was the way for him to actually be able to sell it. And then he became famous for it. Did you ever put that on your menu? Actually, when he passed away, we made it at the farmer's market um, to help raise money for for his family. That's beautiful. And uh, and it was, you know, we have the recipe at the restaurant. It's one of my favorite recipes. And it was a really special um, opportunity to make that. In, in that situation. One thing else that um, always kind of pisses me off when I go to the farmer's market is when I see people buying these beautiful carrots um, or beets and then asking the farmer to to rip off the tops and they throw them away. You know, obviously your book addresses using everything and, you know, carrot tops, beets, you know, you guys use everything. How do you try to think about that and making pestos or? Well, first of all, I think the important part to address is that you know, when you're buying local, often organic produce, it's not cheap. And so you really want to extend your dollar as much as possible if you're a home cook or if you're a restaurateur. And so it's in your best interest to use every bit of mm-hmm. it because you spend a lot of money on it. And, right. But also just there are so many edible parts to most of the plants that we eat that we don't. 
And I think that's a, a, a very strong trend right now. It's also a big part of food waste. I mean, that's a hot topic right now. And, yeah. and trying to battle food waste is a big problem. So the more we can use these parts and pieces and make turn them into flavor and nutrition, then we're, we're really doing our part. So I think, um, you know, I'd spend a lot of my focus at the restaurant over the past two years has been, you know, how do we use not only the, the leaves of beets and turnips and everything else and the carrot tops, but also the stems, mm-hmm. which is a very big portion of the plant. And we, we've developed this um, kind of uh, protocol for every, every time we get something in, we, we analyze, you know, can we save this? Can we use it? And so, you know, sometimes they don't look good or they're not fresh and you should discard them. Right. Especially in the winter time, you don't often don't even get tops. They're kind of gnarly, and, but yeah. um, but when they're good, you know, we try to funnel them into a menu item so that we can utilize them, and it, it helps with food costs too. Right. Most of the time, when we have a dish, let's say that has a root in it that comes with stems and leaves, we just incorporate that into that dish so that there's continuity. It makes sense logically mm-hmm. when you present the dish to the guest. Um, most of the stems, we cut them crosswise into small pieces. And then we just, when we're sauteing, we throw the stems in first. Like if you have onions or garlic or anything that's going in the pan, you just do it at the same time. Okay. Just tenderize them. But the, the reason why they're cut into short pieces is because there's long fibers that run run the length of the stem. Right. And they're, they're very unpalatable unless you shorten them. And then once you do that, then you can, you know, you can add a little bit of crispiness and crunch or tenderize them or however you want to do it. But it's you're not having long strings stuck in your teeth. That's can, basically what it boils Can you down do to. that with, you know, because I've, growing up, we'd eat collard greens all the time, and my mom would always throw these huge, you know, the... You can do the collard stems you can. if they're young. Um, okay. Once they get to be the size of elephant ears, yeah, they're, they're pretty woody. Yeah. And so they're, you know, you'd have to really cook them down a lot. Okay. Um, and definitely, you always want to start your stems first, whether, whatever the cooking process may be. Uh-huh that part is more rigid and fibrous. So you really need to break down that fiber and turn it into a more sweet flavor before you add the leaves, which will wilt much faster. One, one vegetable that I feel always gets wasted a lot is the fennel, fennel stems. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, you know, the fennel looks like a hand and it has those five stems that kind of shoot up from it. People are only using the bulb. People are yeah. only using the bulb. And yeah. we, we, I love the stems of the fennel and yes. you can take them. It has the exact same flavor, if not more. Yeah. yeah. And, and you have to take them and slice them thin and we either... Um, we'll cook them in a little bit of syrup and like make a jam out of it, like a, a sweet fennel jam. Mm-hmm. Or, or mustard is good. Yeah, mustard is great. Or or they're great just taken and bra- like braised down and they'll really tenderize. You cook them for a couple hours with a little bit of garlic and lemon and olive oil and broth and they, they become really, really good. Sometimes I'll do um, something that has fennel bulb cooked and then I'll shave the, the stem, the, the um, stalk, yeah, paper thin and use it as a garnish. Yeah, along with the fronds. Right. Yeah, the fronds are great too. If you go to any uh, convenience store or grocery store in the United States now, you'll find rows and rows of hummus, which you know, ten years ago, you know, half of the world, half of America didn't even know what hummus was, and now it's like America's favorite snack. But so we play a game at Bon Appetit called Will It Hummus. And oh I, yeah. And I know you have you black eyed peas. You've done in. Field peas. And you've got I do how many peas. how many hummuses do you have? All the you? hummuses. All the hummuses. <laughs> we have like we have five on our menu, but you know there's endless butternut squash. So right. what's a basic like rule like 
if you have this and you have some tahini and some olive oil, you can hummus it, right? Avocados are great. A great Avo- way to really, yeah. It's not really hummus, but you know, it's it's close. I mean, I think most of the starchy legumes could be turned into hummus, pretty much. Okay. And I I love English pea hummus, and I do it with um, green garlic. Yeah. And I put a little chervil and tarragon in it and mint. Really That's nice. awesome. Yeah, you should try that sometime. Alon. Yeah, I will. <laughs> but Alon, is it funny to you? Like, you know, being Israeli and probably growing up eating hummus. Yeah. Is it kind of funny now that everyone's hummus crazy? I think it's amazing. Like I used to, I used to trade my hummus for tater tot when I was third grade. I used to be like, "Look, I'll give you some of this stuff that my mom made if you give me those tater tots and a bunch of ketchup and some." Chocolate and they were like, milk. "Hell no!" Yeah, they were like, "I don't want that." And so I'd be like, "This sucks," you know. Why? Why can't I just have you know grown up eating tater tots? And and now you know it's a good thing that I went back to it. It was it was that trip in in 2011 that I thought like. Damn, I should be making this and serving it at a restaurant. So, uh, Stephen, I want to thank you for joining us and Alan as well. Um, but before you go, I have lightning round questions. Don't think about it. You have to answer it. That's the only rule we have. So, like, are we trying to rush to whoever answers first? No, 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 no. <laughs> I'll ask each of you. So I'll go. You're up first, Stephen. Okay. Sriracha or Harissa? Harissa. Sriracha. Mm. All right, Alon, scrambled or fried? Scrambled. Soft scrambled. How do you do it? How do you soft scramble at home? I mean, you just really do super low heat and turn it off before you think you should, and then it's perfect. You don't do the double double broiler? Like, no, no, no. no, no, no. no. Waste of time. Too, you know what too I do is I just like spoon a little bit of cream cheese into it right before it's done. Oh, my God, that's the best. That sounds good. Yeah. I just do a lot of butter. <laughs> yeah, that's good, too. Gumbo or jambalaya? Gumbo. Gumbo. Shrimp and grits or fried chicken? Fried chicken. Fried chicken for sure. Good answer. But you know, uh, Watershed did a pretty Listen, I awesome... Listen, I love shrimp and grits. Okay. I grew up in Savannah on the coast, and it's very indigenous to my upbringing, but I think fried chicken is delicious. Fried chicken, you can't get any better than that. Yeah. Best food on the planet? I would say it's some of the best food on the planet. I mean, I Top really- five. Easily. Yeah. I would go for like fried chicken when when I end up on death row one day, that's gonna be one of my one of my options. And just so you know, I actually have a fried chicken gumbo on the menu right now. Nice. Oh man. So no one likes to show off, Steve. <laughs> Let's see. Caesar or Cobb? Caesar. Caesar. No love for Cobb. Uh I already know this answer for you, Stephen. Green garlic or spring onions? Well, I mean I like them together. Okay. <laughs> I like spring onions. I love Let's have an allium party. I love I love just uh, chopped spring onions pretty much on on everything, especially gumbo or jambalaya for sure, or fried chicken or fried chicken. Muffaletta or po' boy? Uh, that's tough. I like the muffaletta. I'm a big po' boy guy. Fried shrimp or fried oyster po' boy with the right amount of mayonnaise and shredded lettuce is is pretty epic. Best best po' boy in New Orleans. Uh, Parkway. Parkway, the the fried shrimp. Yeah, the fried shrimp po' boy at Parkway. Nice. I think I, what I like about a muffaletta is that you can like throw it in your bag and eat it eight hours later. That's true. <laughs> it's, it's the best airplane food. You exactly. Buy it and then yeah. it just kind of all soaks together. Let's do okra or lima beans. Okra. Okra all the way. Yeah. No love for lima beans. 
The first tomato of the season or the first ramp of the season? Ramps. Tomato all the way tomato. You, no, the first tomato of the season is not as good as the middle oh, of the season. Oh, okay. Well, you're right. You're right. Now, are you that. guys? Do you guys have ramp fatigue? Are you getting ramp fatigue at all? No, it's always so short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel. I feel I like them. you have that small window. You got to use them, and that's why everyone uses them at the same time. And then you got to put some away. Right. Right. For later. Which would you rather have? Too much zucchini or too many chili peppers? Too many chili peppers make hot sauce. Yeah, I would say the same. Too many chili peppers and, and definitely take them. And, and you can always freeze those and, and use them later on in, in soups or salads. How do you make a quick hot sauce? Well, actually, one of my favorite ways to put hot peppers away is pepper vinegar. And then you have the bonus of a pickled pepper. So, And that's literally just pouring vinegar. Well, seasoned vinegar. You have yeah. to season it with salt. Um, but hot sauce, I mean, a quick one, you know, some onions, some garlic, and the hot chilies and vinegar, maybe a touch of honey or sugar, and just cook it and blend it. But I I, I prefer a, a, a fermented hot sauce. Okay. All right, the last, this is the only consistent lightning uh, question that we do every time. Uh, very simple, olive oil or butter? Olive oil. Olive oil. What? Really? Yeah. I expected butter from you. I use so much olive oil. I think we go through about a gallon of olive oil a month at my house. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Like we use it in everything. I go through at, at least 12 gallon, twelve to 14 gallons a week at the restaurant. Oh, yeah, for sure. But at home, it's pretty strong. Yeah. A gallon a month. Now, do you, do you um, the olive oil question, do you cook with olive oil always? I do cook with olive oil. Okay. Yeah. I use extra virgin for everything. You yeah. do? Cooking Cause, and cause, uh, braising. For a while there, people were like, oh, do not you don't cook with... Well, it's only because it's, from what I understand, it's because it's it's expensive and it's a waste of money. But I think that the flavor comes through even when you cook with it. Yeah. And it's got a, it's got a lower smoke point than other oils, but you just don't have to heat your oil up so much all the time. Right. All right. Alon Shai and Steven Satterfield. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. This podcast has been brought to you by Belle Cushing and Carrie Polis, with editing by Mitra Kaboli and additional help from Christina Che and Lily Sherman. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Greedies. We have new episodes every Wednesday. And if you want to tell us anything about this or any episode, please email us at bonapetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Bonapetit